It's Science Wednesday, and it's time to explore our big blue marble. Buckle up, buckle up, buckle up. Here we go. In three, two, one, 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 one. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything. Weather, science, earth science. And today, a special visit to a special place in our big blue marble series. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier, and I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. All right, stand by, get ready. Are you ready for this? This is episode number 517. Mm hmm. 517 for Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. You see, I heard your voice. I thank you so much for the assistance that I needed to move in a particular direction. What direction is that? And why the jump? You see, up until last week, this would have been Season 3, Episode 57. But a thought hit me, as I mentioned on Open Line Friday last week, that, wow, there are a lot of podcasts that are reaching some pretty big numbers, like Dan Bongino, who recently hit Episode number 2000. Well, when you hear Episode number 57, you think Weather Jazz is a newcomer. Remember, this is season three. I have a lot of episodes in the bank in season one and season two. And by the way, Weather Jazz began in the fall of 2005, and that's when podcasting began only on the Apple platform. Well, many of you chimed in and said, yes, it makes sense, especially those of you that have been with me from the get-go that we should continue the upward climb in the number of episodes. In other words, make it evident that we've been around for a while. People won't get that sense if I say something like season three, episode number 57. Well, this is the 517th episode that I have produced since the very beginning. Now, I do have in archive virtually all of the episodes in season one. That's not available on anchor.fm. However, what I may do in time is occasionally revisit one of them and replay one of them just for kicks. In the meantime, I have resorted to going back to renaming all of the episodes. Now, I'm not going to go in and audio edit every single one of them. That's just really not only time-consuming, but would not be beneficial. But what I will do is I'll go back and change all of the titles of the episodes and make them sequential. And therefore, this is again episode number 517. Well, this episode, along with so many of them, brought to you by Rise and Dine in Chesterland. It's a great restaurant with owner-operators, Frank and Terry Arco, waiting for you to come on by. Have you not taken my advice yet to come and pay them a visit? 
even if you're a little bit away from the east side, the near east side of Cleveland in Chesterland, it's worth a visit. And maybe one of these weekends or even a weekday, you can plan a time when you can drive out to Chesterland on Mayfield Road, Route 322, which, by the way, has an easy access from Interstate 271. It's the Mayfield Road exit, Route 322. You drive six miles to the east. Boom! You are right near Risendine, southeast corner of Route 306 and 322. It's on the southeast corner, just south of the standalone CVS Pharmacy in the plaza. Go check them out. One of these days, I will go ahead and snap a photo of their breakfast menu and post it right here on Weather Jazz. How many would like to see that? Well, I will place that on my to-do list. Well, before we dig into the Big Blue Marble series and visit a place that's very near and dear to my heart, let's talk about this monster system that is affecting so much of the eastern United States. And this happens more than often in the springtime, the mid to late spring, when cut-off low-pressure systems drop anchor. It's literally like a giant pool of cool air that just sits like a 900-pound gorilla in the room that refuses to leave the room. And if he leaves the room, it's going to be on his or her own terms. We saw this developing about a week, week and a half ago. And when I recognized that, I started mentioning on the air, you know, we're going uh, a little optimistic on the temperatures just in case But I said, I got a hunch that when that drops anchor just north of Cleveland, that we're going to be stuck in the 40s for a few days and we'll probably end up seeing some wet snow in the process as well. Just like clockwork, that's exactly what happened. And it came to fruition that on Tuesday morning, so much of the area, especially in the high ground areas of the snow belt, both the primary and the secondary snow belt ended up with an inch, two. And in some cases, even two and a half, three inches of very wet, heavy snow that accumulated mostly on grassy surfaces, rooftops, deck tops, that kind of thing. And it really is the nice kind of snow. It's irritating because here it is spring, you want the warmer weather. But really, It's not going to be a detriment to travel because the roadways, the concrete, far too warm. There's too much latent heat stored up in a lot of these surfaces, so the snow just doesn't accumulate on roadways. Now, it'll make it wet, and the surrounding landscape, the lawns and the rooftops and the decks will be coated with snow, but travelers will not be impacted all that much. Now, officially, Hopkins Airport did only receive a trace of snow, but we saw anywhere from one to as much as two and a half, almost three inches of snow in the high ground areas in the primary snow belt of Northeast Ohio, that being mostly Inland Lake, Inland Ashtabula, and Geauga County with the snow. Now, here's the thing with Slow-moving systems like this, yes, they may be slow to move out. We're still dealing with it today, but today temperatures have modified 
just enough, a couple of degrees Fahrenheit, so that any mixing that occurred in the overnight period was mixed with enough rain that it prevented any accumulating snow from going. And so when we woke up on Wednesday morning, not much going on in terms of uh, grassy surface accumulation. That's pretty much all gone. But it is overcast, it is cold, it is rainy. I'm looking at the thermometer uh, here in the Weather Jazz studios. I'm showing 39 degrees. Here it is, the month of May. We should be in the mid to upper 60s for highs, and that's not going to be in the cards, at least in the short term. But as this low-pressure system oozes away, the changes, while slow, will be definitive. And perfectly timed, too, by the way. By the time we get to the weekend, we're looking at high temperatures going up into the mid to upper 60s. That would be normal. And then next week, probably going into the 70s. So hang in there. Spring is coming. Your flowers will have a much happier time, and they will shout for joy by the time we get to the weekend and beyond. Well, let's get to our big blue marble stop for today. And it's a place that's near and dear to my heart. I've spent four of my years there, and that would be a place called Lindenville, Vermont. I can hear the cheers from here from two of my supporters in particular, Victoria Singer and Kian Galunas. They are from Vermont and very close to Lindenville, Vermont. And of course, my friendship with them is because of my four years there as a college student. I spent four years from 1977 until I graduated in the spring of 1981 in a simply stunning town of Lindenville in a place called the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. It's a little hamlet or a little corner of the Green Mountain State, north of St. Johnsbury, all the way up to Newport, called the Northeast Kingdom. Lindenville is a village in the town of Linden in Caledonia County, Vermont. Now, its population is 1,136 in the 2020 census. And quite frankly, that number surprised me because as a college student, it just seemed so much larger than that by at least a few thousand. That's not the case. In fact, the town of Lindenville has approximately the same number of people as Clinton, Ohio, a very small hamlet, or Janaton Hutton, and it's even smaller than Walnut Creek, Ohio, or Smithville, just to give you a point of reference. And it is the home to Linden State College, which is now known as Northern Vermont University at Linden. The number of students, approximately just under 1,000, almost matches the population of Lindenville. And I often tell everybody that it was almost a wonderful culture shock going to Linden State College, simply because the number of students was one quarter of that of the high school that I attended, New Bedford High School, which had about 4,000 students in it, whose campus was almost as big, if not bigger, than Linden State College. Another surprise is the total square area. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the village has a total square area of less than a square mile, 1.9 square kilometers to be precise. If you're looking for it on a map, 
Just go eight miles north of St. Johnsbury, right along U.S. Route 5, and you'll find Lindenville. Interstate 91, incidentally, bypasses it just to the west. There is one access at exit number 23. But the overpass of Interstate 91 is actually located right on the eastern edge of College Road. I can't tell you the number of times that I walked down to the village from the campus and you had to walk under the underpass, which was Interstate 91. Now, in terms of politics, this is an interesting tidbit. In 2007, voters at first decided to merge with the town of Linden by dissolving the village government, but they took a revote and rescinded that decision. So Lindenville still stands as it was originally chartered. What about police and fire? Well, it's covered by the Lindenville Volunteer Fire Department and the Lindenville Police Department, which right now has three full-time officers as well as supplemental coverage from the Vermont State Police. Interesting to note, though, that when I was there in 1977 to 1981, there was one full-time officer. Almost like Mayberry RFD, we knew that officer. Everybody did. His name was Leo the Cop. In fact, in a town that small, you almost got to know everybody. It was also not unusual for people to leave their doors unlocked. It was, and still is, really, a very, very safe town in which to live. Well, what about tourism? Tourism is something that peaks in the fall. The autumn fall foliage in Vermont is second to none, along with their maple syrup, which is really, in my humble opinion, the best in the world. And there's also a community fair that has been held annually, continuously, since 1932. In fact, in 2009, Boston Magazine named it one of the best small towns in New England. A couple more interesting things about Lindenville, a place which is only a a day's drive from northeast Ohio, there's a bronze statue, a copy of what is known as the Florentine Boar by Taka, which is also a fountain. See, water gushes continually from the pig's mouth. You can find it on the way to the campus of Linden State College, and the locals very affectionately call it the puking pig. If you'd like to see a photo of that, go to episode number 517 on weatherjazz.com and I'll post a picture right below this episode. Something notable about Lindenville is the fact that Miss Vermont 2008 came from Lindenville. Ashley Wheatler was her name. And perhaps you're familiar with something at the pharmacy or even some of the big box retail stores to keep your skin soft and moisturize during the winter. It comes in a green canister, and it's called bag balm. I think some of you are going, oh, yes, I have seen that. Well, that is made in Lindenville. It was actually a product that was developed in 1899 to soothe irritation on cow's udders after milking. And that's why it's called bag balm. It's widely used to soothe dry and cracked skin on humans, and, and how that came about was the farmers who used bag balm on cow's udders 
saw that their skin was soft and supple and didn't dry out in the winter when they went out there and treated the cow's udders. When word got out, well, other people started using bag balm not on their cows, but because they wanted their hands to be soft, supple, and didn't want them to dry out in the winter, and thus started the campaign to get this out to everyone in America. That's what's in that green can. It's an old formula from 1899. For the first 115 years, bag balm was made in Vermont by a family-owned business called Dairy Association Company. Now, in 2014, the family actually sold the business to a group of investors who changed the name of the company to Vermont's Original LLC. Now, bag balm is still made in Lindenville, Vermont, but it's also made in Rock Island, Quebec in Canada. One more interesting tidbit of information about bag balm. Did you know that it was taken to the North Pole by Admiral Byrd? Certainly was. And it was also used by Allied troops in World War II, that to protect weapons from rust. Now, before we leave Lindenville, Vermont, and again, it's a place that I highly recommend for any time of the year, really, but it is the best during the fall foliage season. Very busy, so make sure that you make your reservations well in advance. They peak typically late September and very, very early October. But I also mentioned that it is the home of Linden State College. Of course, it's now known as the Northern Vermont University at Linden. If you go to Wikipedia and type in Linden State College, L-Y-N-D-O-N, a college campus that had its beginning in the 1920s, so it essentially is 100 years old at this stage, but you can read all about it on Wikipedia. And if you go down the website, Past Student Life, Past Athletics, and go to the section labeled Notable Alumni, you will see my name, listed as the second person in there, graduating in 1981. The first is Joe Benning, somebody I know very well. He and I work together at the college radio station, WWLR. And now Joe Benny is a big part of Vermont politics. He has been elected several times in official positions. He still lives in the Northeast Kingdom. Other notables, just in case you're wondering, Pete Bouchard, from TV in the Boston area, as well as Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel and Nick Gregory from WNYW in New York City. Nick and I went to school together. Nick graduated a year behind me in 1982, as well as my wife, Sally, who also got her degree in meteorology in 1982. Well, I hope you enjoyed your visit to the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. Again, best time of year to go would be in the fall, September, October, but it's a pretty place any time of year. I took my son there for a father-son retreat when he was in high school, and that was in the summertime in June, and it was a wonderful visit in June, any time of year. If you're a skier, oh, you might want to check out Bark Mountain or JP, great ski areas in Northeast Vermont for a little ski adventure. A lot of great places to stay as well. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence, whether it be on social media or email or by word of mouth. Let's grow this audience and get more people involved. And again, special thanks to all who partner with me. I'm going to give you the full list on Friday, but two of the people are certainly very well familiar with today's topic, Lindenville, and that would be Victoria Singer and Kean Galunas in Vermont. Thank you so much for partnering with me and making Weather Jazz what it is today. Do you have a question, a topic suggestion? I welcome your input. You can reach me, weatherjazz at yahoo.com or via voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. 234-525-5888. Open line Friday, right around the corner. And by then, our weather pattern will be settling down and into a really decent groove. I'm sure we'll talk about it then. We'll catch you on Friday right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. Across the globe. The Weather Jazz Podcast.